I just ran out. I broke the quarantine here because I was in a state of lockdown, quarantine. I ran to the police station and I sat down there and I told them, please, you need to help me to find a way to get to, to, to the capital and fly back because uh, I need to go back and see my parents. My, my mother is very sick. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts. Today's episode is about what's at stake in the COVID-19 pandemic and how we respond to it. You might recall that in episode 107, I collected pandemic dispatches from travelers stranded in all corners of the world. One of those travelers was Marco Ferrerese, an Italian who was stuck in Peru, and he gave this grim prognosis of the global situation. I don't want to talk politics or geopolitics at the moment, but there are too many stars, uh, black stars uh, that are aligning at the moment. And uh, yeah, I'm scared. Now, between the time I asked for traveler reports from around the world and the time episode 107 debuted, the unthinkable happened to Marco. His parents, Tundra and Maurizio, both died of COVID-19 within three days of each other back in Italy. Thus, I'm giving this entire episode over to Marco's report about what happened, not just to underscore the real human toll the pandemic is taking, even while some people insist for some reason that it's not as serious as it seems, but also to honor the lives of Tundra and Maurizio and the people they left behind, Marco included. I think during times like these, when death from COVID-19 has become so common that it feels at times like a statistical abstraction, that it's important to take the time and remind each other that real lives are being lost. In fact, this might be a good time to remind the people that you love that you do love them, a time to look for ways to help and support each other. I've actually heard reports from dozens of travelers in recent weeks, far more than I have time to share here. But I will say that it feels like people are up against similar fears and challenges everywhere in the world right now. People are scared in places all over the globe, and unfortunately people are having a hard time knowing what to do since speculation is often reported as if it were fact. Travelers have noted a lot of generosity from local people wherever they are in the world, a lot of willingness to band together and solve problems. I've also had people tell me that they've used the lessons of travel as a way to stay strong during this time of pandemic, that is, being willing to adapt in the face of the unfamiliar and to find human kindness by practicing human kindness wherever they happen to find themselves in the world. Being overseas right now can give you perspective on what's happening, since, as one correspondent told me, hoarding is a privilege for people who live in wealthy countries. Of course, there's a lot of fear attached to the fact that nobody really knows what's going to happen next as the global pandemic plays out. I've heard fears from London about what would happen if the gas and heating were turned off. Fears from Turkey that refugees from places like Syria aren't able to shelter in place right now because they don't have shelter. Fears from more communal cultures, I'm thinking places like Mexico, where many people can't comprehend being separated from extended family in a time of quarantine. I've heard from travelers who created panic in India because they weren't wearing masks. This was a couple weeks ago when the conventional wisdom stateside was that you didn't need to wear a mask. I've heard from travelers in Macau, where for weeks now, anyone caught in public not wearing a mask faces a $75 fine. But I want to focus this episode on the story of Marco and his parents, since what's happening in Italy right now could well happen in other places, including the United States. As you'll hear, Tundra and Maurizio were older but not elderly, and they were otherwise in good health when they got the virus. I don't mean to alarm people or create unrealistic panic, but I do want Marco's story to speak for itself in illustrating how serious COVID-19 is. Marco is not a melodramatic storyteller. He's very matter-of-fact in recounting what happened. 
Still, this episode might be a little hard to listen to, not because Marco gets hyperbolic or over-emotional, but because he communicates a very real situation in a very straightforward manner. You might consider sharing this episode with people who might benefit from hearing it, especially people who are still convinced the pandemic is not that serious. A lot of information about COVID-19 is still being passed around, much of it in meme form, and this is something Marco alludes to specifically at one point. As I'm recording this, Marco is still stuck in Peru with no clear way out of the country, so if you know of any solutions in that regard, please let me know at deviateatrolfpots.com. I remain optimistic about his situation and optimistic about the resilience of the world in general, but we're going through a very serious time right now, and it does us well to listen to people who can give us perspective on what's at stake. Here's Marco. Hi, my name is Marco Ferrarese. I am uh, an Italian travel writer. And uh, currently I find myself in uh, the village of Cabana Conde near the Colca Canyon of, uh, of Arequipa in Southern Peru. I was here because I was researching a chapter for Fodor's Essential Peru Guidebook, which is due to come out uh, later in the next year, hopefully, if this uh, pandemic slows down. I came here on uh, the 15th of March, just one day before the government of Peru decided to do a full lockdown on the country, which means that at the moment there are no ways of taking any public buses, transportation, flights, the airports are closed. The people who fly out, they can just fly out through military airports, actually. My story is not just this story of being just uh, stuck here in a hostel in uh, Cabana Conde, which is actually quite a welcoming place in the fact that, to the contrary of many other bigger cities in Peru and and, uh, the capital Lima, where since... uh, Yesterday, the government of Peru has also introduced a rule according to which uh, people can only go out and buy supplies divided by day and by gender. So uh, Monday, Wednesday and um, Friday for men, Tuesday, Thursdays and Saturdays for women and Sunday for no one. So yeah, while I was here in this hostel, I have uh, experienced a very huge tragedy because a few days before I came here, while I still was in Arequipa researching the the guidebook chapter, I was, of course, uh, in touch with my my family back in Italy. My parents used to live in this uh, small town, Voghera in Lombardy, which is 60 kilometers south of Milan, which is uh, one of the biggest forty of the COVID-19 pandemic, actually. So I was talking to them and uh, more or less around uh, March 8th, there was a Saturday, my father started having a fever and my mother was actually telling me, oh yeah, dad has a fever now. Um, They say it's um, the seasonal flu, it shouldn't be the virus because we have been careful, we didn't go out much or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I was actually pretty worried because I was here and um, they were far away and uh, we actually were quite far from the 
international airport, which is around uh, 20 hours drive from uh, Cabana Conde. Well, <clears throat> I continue doing my work and um, every day I would call them and every day I would hear that my father still had a fever, very, very high fever, like 39 uh, Celsius. And uh, after a couple of days, my mother actually told me that she was down with the fever too. We decided not to worry too much because my mother had called the family doctor who a couple of days later, because of course, you have to understand that the situation in Italy at that time, the contagion was, was already on, but it was between the end of February and the beginning of March, there was no complete lockdown in act yet. And uh, people were still going out. My parents, especially, they were going out for medical reasons because uh, unluckily at that time, my father was was about to, um, to undergo a hip replacement surgery. So he had to do um, a few visits before he could actually be, be admitted to the hospital and do the surgery. And in those days, at the end of February, the government of Italy still didn't enact a full lockdown and still didn't give a precise rules on uh, the fact that people had to stay home. If we have to be very critical of uh, what the situation in Italy is at the moment, even right now, not even now people are fully kind of observing the rules. I still have people calling me and telling me that in Voghera, which is the hometown of my parents, a small town in the deep uh, south, uh, the southwestern spike of Lombardy, people are still going out. You still see people going out and walking their dogs, like couples walking their dogs. Uh, old people, they don't wear a face mask and they go to parks to have uh, the chat. Immigrants, there are many in, in this part of Italy, they go out without wearing a mask, whatever. Uh, immigrants from Northern Africa and South America. And the police, sometimes they don't even stop them. They don't even, uh, they are actually supposed to give a ticket to them, you know, but they don't. So th that is why the virus is, is still spreading. And going back to my parents, when the doctor finally went to my home, well, to their home, sorry, I live in Malaysia, he, he told them that, that was just a flu, that it was not uh, the COVID-19. I have gator later that my mother told some of her friends that she couldn't feel with the tongue anymore the taste of food, which actually this is one of the first symptoms of this virus. The problem is that was a, a week, a week and a half, two weeks before this news actually did the round of the world and that we, we could know actually. So she was not worried about too much. You know, she thought uh, it would be something related to her flu and something like, like, like that, which it was, but she thought it was a normal flu. So for these few days, it was like uh, just days spent like calling each other, especially themselves, because I I used to call them once a day. I mean, once, once I could, because I mean, I was in South America, where I still am. I called them until the day before, uh, finally they were admitted into the hospital. And um, until that day, they always told me that they still have a flu, but it's just a flu. 
by the time they went to the hospital, they were probably, it was possibly too late. The last time I spoke to my mother, I was visiting the Kolka Lodge. Is a, this is a hotel where I stayed for a couple of nights. So I talked to her and I still talk about my work and uh, how was she feeling as she was uh, listening to me. She was very supportive of my work and uh, she we, we, we discussed about the situation in Italy. She told me, um, as soon as you are finished, uh, don't think of coming back here because the situation is very bad. There's a lot of people dying. There's a lot of people who are, who are getting sick. And we have this flu and uh, we are also a bit sick, but it's not the virus, the doctor said. So soon it's going to be all right. And uh, we were talking and making projects and everything else for when I would have been able to go back to Italy to see them because that was the plan. After this trip, uh, before going back to Malaysia, where I live, uh, I would just have landed to Italy to stay with them for another few weeks and then go back to Malaysia with my wife. That was the last time I spoke to my mother, actually, because the next day they were hospitalized. I would send uh, WhatsApp messages because they had a phone in the hospital, but my mother was not answering me. I could see that the blue thick, so she would see my message, but she was not answering me. And uh, I was calling my, my brother, and uh, my brother was telling me that he was in touch with the hospital people, mm-hmm. and uh, they were saying that my parents were stable, something that I learned l- later that it doesn't mean your parents are doing good. I was probably naively worried, but not too worried, because anyways, Everyone was telling us that many people, even, I mean, my, my mother was 68, my father was, was, was 72. And yes, I'm telling you, they, they were because they passed. And my mother passed on the 20th of uh, March. I was here, I was just told by my brother the, the previous night that the condition was not very, was, was not very, very good. I mean, it was stable, but not that good. And they had uh, one of those uh, helmets to uh, to have them brief. So I really knew that she would she couldn't write to me because, of course, when you have that thing on your head, the noise and everything else, plus the eye fever, and essentially I was thinking, well, my mother cannot write to me, but but she can read me. So I was sending her some love messages, telling her to. Uh, be strong and uh, she, she she will make it and stuff. But the next morning, I get a message from my brother telling me that she's 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 worst. So I just ran out. I broke the quarantine here because I was in a s- s- state of lockdown, quarantine. I ran to the police station and I sat down there and I told them, please, you need to help me to find a way to get to, to, to the capital and fly back because uh, I need to go back and see my parents. My, my mother is very sick. I need to see her. I'm very worried. And then I, the policeman told me, well, the only thing that we can do here is that if your embassy has a flight for you, we can give a special permission for you to go there. And uh, you have to organize a transportation because there is no such thing that you have to pay for it and it's going to be very expensive like uh, from from Arequipa to Lima usually it's around 15 to 20 dollars they were asking for like a thousand dollars for a private car so I was really like whoa 
I don't know how we can do it, you know. And I went back, and uh, in a couple of hours later, I received a call from my brother telling me my mother didn't make it. And of course, what can you do? I mean, there's nothing you can do. There's a sense of loss. There is a sense of distraction. There is a sense of powerlessness because I was here very far and I could not be there next to my mother when she passed. I couldn't even talk to her for one last time. So of course, tears came down and I was in a state of shock. I was shivering. I mean, like I never did before in my life. My wife was looking at me and saying, oh, wow, what's happening to you? And I told her and we were both crying and um, we just didn't realize how fast it could have happened. So in that moment, I really thought to all those people who say that um, this COVID-19 is just a flu to all these people that think that it's still good to make fun of this pandemic. I mean, uh, for me, really, it's not fun anymore. It's not fun at all. Me and my brother, we didn't know what to do because, of course, my father was inside of the hospital with his cell phone and uh, we didn't want to tell him the mother didn't make it because, of course, we knew they was still in a stable condition, the bloody stable condition that they were saying. And we just wanted to minimize the damage because we thought if someone tells dad that mother is no more, maybe he will get sicker, maybe he will die, maybe he will just, maybe he will not make it. So we were very careful. We informed just a couple of our closest family friends about the death of my mother, asking them not to say anything to anyone. But of course, you know, death is a huge thing. People suffer, people talk. So I started receiving some messages the next day and I didn't know what to do, how to contain this thing. It was like spreading like a virus. This news was spreading too fast because I got a message on Facebook from the ex-girlfriend of an ex-friend like uh, that I haven't spoken to very much in, in, in a long time. And I, and I immediately thought, if this girl knows about this, how many people can know? So it was just like rushing to calling people, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, I sent a message to my father on the WhatsApp. He was not answering me. Then he finally, he answered me. And uh, he answered me is in a very short message, which said, I, I don't know if I can make it. I'm very tired. Stay as far as possible. Stay where you are. No more words. This was the last things that my father told me. So on the third day, I wake up in the morning in my bedroom. And uh, when I when I switch on the phone, I saw that my brother had called me 17 times from two in the morning, actually. And of course, I knew that he was either a good news, but most likely this, this actually would have been very bad news. So I called him and he was barely holding the, his tears. And he told me that even that didn't make it. So imagine you wake up in a bed, in a hostel in Cabana Conde, Peru, which is a very small town where people still dress traditionally. 
and horses sometimes run in the in the streets. I mean, it's, it, it would be a beautiful place for me in a normal situation, but in this situation, in those days, it was very gloomy and rainy and cold, and you get this call telling you that your father died three days after your mother left you. How do you think I felt? How do you think I felt in the very moment? I just started punching the wall, actually, until I stopped. And I just, I couldn't even cry anymore. I mean, I was just like completely at loss. In the, in the span of a week, it took both of my parents. And I really don't know why, because they were not that old. They were quite quite uh, healthy for their age. They didn't have a particular condition. They didn't have uh, lung problems or anything like that. They just died like that. Like the 12,000 other people who died in the country of Italy alone. And now when I see many of the Mimi on Facebook, like saying, oh, coronavirus didn't kill as many people as malaria in this day or whatever else, or cigarettes or whatever else, or drugs. But listen to me, people. You don't choose to get this virus. I mean, you choose to take drugs, you choose to drink, you choose to smoke cigarettes. You go to endemic malaria zones, but you do not choose to get this COVID-19, you know what I mean? So you have to be aware of the fact that this thing is very dangerous and it can kill people. And if many people go through it uh, fine, that doesn't mean that it cannot kill you. I mean, I just heard uh, a couple of days ago that a whole family has been taken in Voghera. The mom, dad, and the two sons, they were 40, 45 and 50 years old. And uh, a few days ago, a 16-year-old boy died. So you have to take these things very seriously. I know I know that the numbers now are going up very, very fast in the US. And maybe now you have a better idea of what's going on and uh, that you have to stay at home. But please don't take this uh, as a simple thing as many of my people in Italy have done because there's only one death, you know? And if you die, then you're not gonna come in back. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. The show notes for this episode can be found at rolfpotts.com slash deviate. And you can contact me at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Thanks for listening and please stay tuned for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts.